Hi guys and welcome to episode 16 of the Judo Talk podcast. Judo Talk. everyone and yeah guess welcome episode 16 we're four months in now and uh yeah it's been i i found it a really good experience i've really enjoyed this for something that i wasn't sure whether i could even do it um yeah it's been been really good fun um today i'm going to mix up the podcast again i'll go into a little bit more detail about that in a minute but yeah so world champs who's watching it i guess most of you are um I get. I need to start with how awful my predictions were. So obviously, I looked at the draw. Sh- uh, not even the draw sheet. I just looked at the list of entrants. And last week, I tried doing a prediction on who would win the gold medal. And I think I've only picked a couple of absolutely awful. And I guess that's why judo is so good. Really, it's so tough to to guess who's going to win. Even when you look at a draw sheet, you can look and go, "Oh, well, they've got a good chance. They've got a good chance." But on any given day, anybody can win. Really, it's so so hard um and that's my excuse and i'm sticking to it really uh but yeah no somebody's asked me about the world championship so i want to do some questions later um and i'm going to go into a lot more detail about those as well um but actually before we get into the podcast i wanted to well i basically ask a favor um if you guys have found the podcasts you know if you've been listening to podcasts the book the blog posts the youtube stuff um anything that i've been doing on social media if you found them interesting helpful anything like that would you be able to click on the link so someone has uh nominated me for a uk coaching hero award um which was basically uk coaching which is a national body in great britain um they put out an award thing for coaches who have worked hard during COVID, basically. And yeah, somebody nominated me and I've been shortlisted for an award. It'd be just be really great. If you found anything that I've done beneficial, helpful, uh, you know, just click on the link. It'll take you 30 seconds. You can vote up to five times. Uh, yeah, it'd be great. I mean, even if yeah, if you found any of it interesting, it, it would be really, really helpful and useful to me. Um, the voting ends though on Monday, so don't put it off. Literally click on it now. You, I'll put the link in the description for here. And yeah, it'd just be just be great if you've enjoyed the stuff that I've been doing for you to go on, jump on there, give me a few votes, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, no, that'd be great. Now, today's podcast can be a little bit different. I'm not actually... You're going to be very sad about this. I'm not actually interviewing anybody today, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one, there was uh, some problems with scheduling. A few people I'd asked, so it just didn't work out. Last week was super busy as well for me, um, getting things organised within the club and school holidays and stuff. And I think for this podcast to really work, I think being able to do some weeks where it's me talking about topics, ideas, answering questions... It, it will really give 
the podcast longevity, you know, because not always with work schedules and stuff are we going to be able to jump on uh, and interview people. As much as I try to get people booked in, um, yeah, it just it just can become difficult. Now, next week, I think I've got three or four lined up after today's one. Uh, so don't just bin it off thinking, oh, no, I can't listen to Vince for, for 40 minutes or however long we, we chat for today. But today I hope to answer a few questions in a bit more detail. Uh, I want to talk about some ideas around judo development and, yeah, just give a few more thoughts on ideas that I think will help not only coaches but help, um, you know, judoka and parents as well. So I guess let's let's dive straight in. So the question I want to start with today actually is one as a coach that I get asked quite a lot and that is should you practice judo on both sides? Should you practice judo left-handed, right-handed? There's lots of ways to approach this and you know I'm very much of the opinion no with a few caveats. So if you're a recreational player and you do judo for fun and you just want to turn up and practice judo, improve-ish, you know, you just want to enjoy being on the map. Go left and right. Do both sides, practice whatever you want and just enjoy, you know, the experience. But if you're asking me, do you think top level judo players or if you want to be better at judo if you want to be thrown less if you want to throw more should you do left and right the answer is no i don't think so and i, I think we don't spend enough time on the mat and i say we are royal we are. i mean just generally people don't spend enough time on the mat now i remember being in japan uh, at scuba university I was coming off a three-hour session and there was little tots, three, four, five-year-olds going on and they were doing a couple of hours, right? When we teach classes to young children, they're very rarely an hour, you know, and they're, and culturally it's completely different. They can keep that discipline, they can keep that control, but I just don't see how we have enough mat time, how we're able to, to be on the mat long enough to practice both sides and get good at both sides. We don't, you don't often see footballers trying to kick with both feet. You don't see golfers trying to play left-handed if they're right-handed. Uh, tennis players don't just switch to left-handed. You know, it's very, very rare that you ever find in any sporting scenario that people decide to go both sides. And there is an inclination on this. There is an inclination that people should go both sides and I think it's almost I think it is misjudged really I think we watch judo and we only see sometimes what we want to see and we see people throw in and it looks like they're throwing left and right but sometimes it isn't you know if you take a European style like Eastern European style where it's a bit more wrestling their grips that they're taking is there is no real dominant side. You think of like the bear hug position, going left and right doesn't really work. And you can say, oh, right, they do um, left hip on Tsunagi or, you know, the, you can come up with specific examples. But I guarantee you, if you watch the worlds that are happening right now and you watch every single contest, watch how many athletes, how many judoka switch from left to right. It just doesn't happen as much as what people think. 
It really doesn't. And when they do switch, okay, there's a couple of reasons that, that I find. One is that they're under a lot of pressure. They're not coping. You, you would see it actually quite a lot if um, Iliadis was fighting. He would put people under so much pressure. Or Ono, oh also, you know, a real physical dominant fighter who's really aggressive with their gripping and they can throw. You'll see the other person switch. Not because they want to, because they don't know what else to do. There's a, it's almost like, I, I'm not sure. And if they don't switch, they'll do a sacrifice technique or a drop technique. They'll get down. And I think that happens more often. The ones that do it effectively will do it from a, a routine, a preset gripping exchange or a preset a movement pattern. And it will come from their existing judo. So... For example, it might be the fact that they're, they're right-handed or left-handed and they do a lot of stuff turning on their strong side. And naturally, they might get a reaction that, that jigger ties or braces on the other way and they might turn with a left CI or, or something like that. I think, um, I'm going to probably get this wrong, I think something like Adir, uh, the French guy, he, I think he was pretty good at doing COs on both sides because it, it complements each other from the reactions. When we think about the actual judo side of it, you only get the right reactions if you're going for the first technique. So for example, if you try and throw somebody with a Sianagi, uh, a really strong Sianagi, and maybe you throw them for Wazari, whatever, you, but you get reactions. The next time you go for that technique, that's when you're gonna feel the reaction. And that's why Koichigaki works, because you feel that reaction, you feel that they're worried about that technique, and you can see, you can see that it's it's working because of that reaction. So I'd like I, I would like to hear your thoughts on it, I guess. Whether you should go left and right. But I just can't in in my mind with the time on there, time on the mat and thinking about it. And from a coaching perspective as well, and I I will talk about this from a coaching perspective. When I'm working with players that are slightly more advanced, I'm not saying elite level, I'm saying slightly more advanced black belts, competition fighters, and you know maybe they are international level and they're, and they're working towards it. When I go, when I'm trying to work with them, and I'm like, right, what we, what we do and what's our strategy, what's our plan, what do you do against the same side of the opponent? The worst thing in the world to hear is, oh, sometimes I'll do this on the left, sometimes I'll do this on the right, sometimes... because there's no predictability in it. There's no structure. You're not able to go, right, we want to remove some of the thinking process out of their judo. So we want to make sure that when they step on the mat, they're not, it, it's not random. They understand their job. They understand what they're doing. They understand their gripping pattern. They're understanding how they're going to progress through this fight. If they say, well, sometimes I'll do a Taitoshi on the right, sometimes I'll do this on the left, sometimes if I can't win this, I'll do that, if I can't do this, I'll, I'll move on. And as a coach, you can't, you just can't build into there any structure into their judo or any predictability, and it, you might as well flip a coin whether it's going to work or not. So I, th I, I really think about when I'm developing judo players, when I'm working with judo players, how can we give them the best chance to succeed? How can we really nail down? And that comes from understanding their gripping, understanding their movement. And I would like, I, I would like you to, you know, watch some of the world champions, especially go into the heavyweights. Go as the heavyweights come in. Watch how many of those go left and right. What we're thinking about when we're thinking about the left and rights, we are thinking about the really 
you know, 60 kilos, 66, maybe even 73s, where they're sprightly, they're moving, it seems like they can attack from any direction. But this is a very small number of people that can actually do it. There's not a huge percentage on there. So, yeah, I guess that's my feelings around fighting left and right. And I will go back, though. If you just enjoy judo, practice it whatever way you want. If you're doing it just to get better as a sport and learn it and enjoy the process of yeah of being on the mat then i don't see any problem with it and you could argue doing it both sides you will build up some strength but if you really if you want to get better if you want to be able to throw more it has to come from your strongest side and then anything you do on the other side is just purely to supplement it so what do you think of that? I mean, I'm sure I'm going to upset a few people on that and I expect to get a few messages. But maybe you thought you should do it beforehand. Has this changed your mind? What do you really think about it? How do you think about your judo? I think that's the big key, really. How do you want to develop in judo? Um, within, um, within my online course, Winning Fundamentals, we talk about this a lot. And actually, I've got a new, uh, it's just being proofread at the moment, actually. I've got an ebook coming out, which is uh, Winning Structure, which talks about setting your structure, making sure that everything's set up as well. And yeah, it, what do you guys think on it? So I guess I've babbled on about uh, right and left long enough and you guys will soon tell me whether I'm wrong <laughs> you usually do actually it's funny um I think about this the amount of content that I put out whether it's on YouTube podcasts and stuff like that I done a I done a blog post series with Uchimata and it was five mistakes that I found and the idea was to help people you know, with all the content, it's a lot of the stuff that I put out is just free stuff, you know, to, to come in. And the, the series went out on Facebook as well as different videos and then attachments to blogs. It's so surprising in the judo community how many people want to just get in contact to tell you how you've misspelled a judo word, how the technique isn't exactly how Koga would have expected it. Uh, like, it's just madness. I just think, well, you know, you... you you're watching the stuff like I'm just putting out and I don't the thing is I, I'm quite selective on stuff I don't generally troll groups either so I don't go into in the UK there's like the GB underground judo community and all this sort of stuff I stay out of those groups I don't really put anything in there and there's a few reasons one because I'd spend my time arguing with people a lot of the time but also as well like I think with the content that I'm putting out if you want to have a look at it you can come find it and I think that way it's a lot more and then, I, but that's why I find it a little bit strange that people then try and troll it a little bit and try and go, well, that's not correct. That's because they're choosing to come and find my content. Um, now, I'm sure some of it on YouTube is organic and it just goes out there and people see it through association. But I, I do find that quite weird. Actually, the best reception that I've had is actually through the podcast. And I don't know whether that's a little bit more just because it's personal or, or, or feels personal. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's such a strange world doing online stuff. Um, and I don't think people would be like that if you were stood on the map with them either. So yeah, so that's a strange one. But I put out some questions online and there's this, uh, I, I missed it last week. I had recorded the podcast before I'd seen this um, question. And it, I'm glad I did really, because I don't think I would have done the question enough justice um, 
it at the end of last week because it was quite a long podcast last week. I think this week I can give it a little bit more thought and yeah, just just give you guys some of the thoughts around the subject as well. So it was um, from uh, Barry on Twitter and basically said, adolescent dropout from judo seems high. No proof, just anecdotal and what I see. What can be done to increase long lo- lifelong participation in the sport? So yeah, so I think anecdotally, you know, yeah, you would say that and actually the stuff that we use um, for registers and tracking and we we take all our sort of key performance indicators of the club so we track when people leave when they give up and so we know once kids get around sort of adolescent age um, there is a higher probability of them leaving the club okay and I'm sure in your dojos if you've got children that are teenagers you you'll you'll pick up on this there's a huge dropout now, what can we do about it? What, what do we know? What can I help you with? So actually, we know quite a lot. And I'm going to try and break this down into a few different components, okay? So moving through uh, maturation, so moving through puberty is quite a tricky thing for children just in general. And I want to know whether you guys see this because... so. There's a thing called the Youth uh, Physical Development Model, and basically it it looks at when, what children can benefit, what training people can benefit from at certain ages. Okay, but this one goes slightly further, and it actually looks at the the social and psychological benefits and the way um, relationships change as well. And what it says is is believed that when children move from you know from being childhood from childhood into adolescence that the way they react and the people that they look up to are slightly different so you know with like young children um as a parent you're like their hero they look up to you for advice they listen to you they'll do you know whatever you ask them to do so that's a really good thing but there's there's a shift and as they as they move into sort of adolescence into puberty you're no longer as their parent the the person that they they want uh they want that encouragement from and no that's wrong you're not the person they're going to take advice from is most probably a better way of putting it okay so they're going to look for external uh social proofs of that they're doing well so affirmation that they're doing really well they're improving stuff and that transitions so that moves from you as a parent or me as a parent, I'm going to talk from a personal point, and then it transitions into generally their friendship groups or uh, a coach, or and that's where they go. And at this age, what they're looking for is for self worth. They're looking for um, self confidence, and that's what. And they don't look from it from a parent anymore. They look from it from their peer group. Okay, and that's why you start to see at this age group that children will start hanging out with their friends a little bit more. It's not just because they're older and they're allowed more freedoms, because they want to be accepted. Okay, so we we know this happens. This is something that goes on. So as coaches, what can we do to try and try and help this? Well, the first one is actually just reassuring them that their judo is a good place to be. You know, making them understand that actually coming to judo is a good part of their day they can come they can have a bit of fun let off a bit of steam and 
create friendships and communities within your group. So every class, maybe as a whole club, maybe as a, keeping them together. Now you'll also find at this point, they will decide, some children will naturally want to go into competition judo and some children won't. And this is the point in their age where they're starting to work out, do I want to be, do I want to do this forever and be an elite judo player or do I want to go find something else? Which is the wrong decision. The decisions are, do I want to be an elite judo player or do I want to continue doing judo for fun around whatever else I want to do? So as clubs and coaches, we need to think about what extra can we do to help them? Okay, so for example, can we put them on a little coaching course? Now this is where I think British judo get it really wrong. I think around 14, 15, 16, there should be opportunities for green belts, for blue belts, to try and do some coaching experience. Same way as they do their refereeing experience, their table officialing. There needs to be a much earlier input from being able to do something different. And it might be the fact that they help out on a couple of the classes and they get their self-worth and their self-confidence from being able to help the class before theirs. It might be the fact that they feel a little bit more important. It might be that they want to go to competitions, but they don't want to do the fighting. They want to actually help with the table officialing. They might want to help with the refereeing. And at this age, it's really important that we start to understand what is their motivation? What is their intrinsic motivation for coming to judo? Some kids, it's because they love having a scrap. Some love the randori. Some prefer the technical side, being pushed mentally about how judo interacts. Can we push their knowledge of judo a bit more? Some, it's purely to see their friends. Some want to go on, maybe they want to be a coach. Maybe they, but there needs to be some options. There need to be more. I think if we consider judo purely as a randori exercise, we are selling the sport really short. And the other thing that I try and do with the kids is I try and motivate them with their black belt, okay? And there's a few reasons for this because I think every every person doing judo should be trying to work towards their black belt. But by staying in there, they're committing to themselves. They're understanding that actually it's not just about the competition. If they work towards their black belt, they are going to achieve something. And once they're there, they're about 16, 15, 16. They've, done the, they've gone through some of the hardest parts of their, their growth and their development. And they're almost through the other side. And then you can go, well, you know, are you going to university? Do you want to go to university? Because if you want to go to university, if you stay doing judo, the second you move to university, you've got a social group. And I know a few guys that um, I've worked with that aren't competition players. They've got their black belts. They've gone to university. And actually, the best thing that they've done is join their judo club because they've, they've got past, they've got that community that they really want. And this is why it's so important. And this is why, you know, even during COVID, we were trying to keep active and keep our club and members going because it's much more than just doing judo. It's so much more than that. So I think having those options for for your your adolescent judo players is really important now i know there's going to be some people that go well i'm just a recreational cl a club uh, a coach i i do this and i haven't got time which is understandable there needs to be a point now where 
there are facilities and there are coaches and clubs that are able to do those things. There needs to be a way of keeping people in involved in the sport. You know, so, yeah, I think with adolescents, it is a tricky one. You know, they're growing, the physical side of it, it's, it's hard. But there are things that we know and there are things that we can do to, to try and offset that. Some children will just want to stop. And don't forget as well, as they get older, as they move through the adolescence age groups, their parents become less involved in their activities. So, for example, they might be expected to get a bus to training. They might be expected to do certain things for themselves. The parents might decide that actually they're going to do their training. So it might be purely the fact that they're struggling to get to training. You know, what are the options? How can you help them get to training? be productive, do, you know, and these are s bigger questions, you know, they're not simple fixes, it's not as simple as trying to fix a Taitoshi or, or anything like that, but I feel like we do miss a trick with, with the kids of that age group, they either move into uh, more competition judo or they just fall off the spectrum, there's less children at that age group doing judo purely for the fun of it. And as I say, it's not easy. But I, I would say that would be, um, Barry, if you are listening, I, that would be where I would start. And, you know, we want children, we want people to be involved with the sport for as long as possible. It can only be a good thing having more ambassadors in the sport, having more people telling people who you know, telling people about the sport and why it's so good, going to work and telling their friends about it. You know, it's it's look how big Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is, how many adults still do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and there's a few reasons for that. One, it's Neiwaza, so it's a little bit safer, they're not getting thrown. But they've also created that community. They've created a place where they feel together and that would benefit the adolescents but it would also benefit the adults as well in our judo community so barry i really hope i've done a good job at answering that for you um i hope it was as concise as i was well it wasn't concise i was babbling on a bit but i hope it was relevant and helpful and if there's any coaches out there that want to discuss this in further if you want me to go into more detail around it i'm more than happy to and it's most probably you know this should be uh possibly something that's taught on your coaching courses the the way that um training does change for adolescents and creating more options for for them and giving you guys the resources to be able to, to cope with that as well so yeah so barry i hope that helps mate the next question is one actually, uh, well, various forms I've had this. So I read the question, would judo be more attractive to non-judo spectators without kumikata and we just gripped up? So this is from Mark Cregan on Twitter. Now, I've not had it that specific, but basically I've had questions around like, what, why is judo not popular? Why do not more people watch it? do we need to do some radical rule changes uh, and all this sort of stuff so let me let me try and answer this the best i can mark so in in regard to the kumikata and starting gripped up i think no 100 percent no i think it would be boring i think it would be so so boring um and I think for me, what I find with judo and what I find quite amazing, I, I have this discussion with my wife all the time actually, and we talk about 
judo and how good it is and how many people listen to this knows all of the rules of rugby how many people know all of the football rules how many people know uh, all of the rules to hockey or I don't think it's a rule set problem okay so I love rugby I love football I love watching them. I can watch them all, all day I love golf all sports I love watching but if somebody said to me do you know all the rules no I, I haven't got a clue on positions in rugby I don't you know and it's one of those horrible things because it's quite a manly thing to talk about as well oh yeah I like play, watching rugby what position do you like like all that sort of stuff I don't really know if I'm being honest I haven't got a clue but I, I enjoy the physical brutality of the sport I love the skills the movement the passing and you know I like watching those sports. I don't think for one second that the problem with judo is the rule set. I think the problem, and I've even had people say, you know, but it's a little bit more complicated than those sports. You know, you think about football, all you've got to do is boot the ball into the net. Think about rugby, just get it over a line. But judo is pretty simple too. All you've got to do is whack somebody on their back, you know, get that person in front of you onto their back or strangle them. Or, or arm lock them, you know, hold them down. Like, it's not that complicated. Like, if you take into, for example, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, all of the different positions that you can get into to get a score, all of the, um, you can't win from throwing somebody, you can go into loads of different positions and get scores, or you can hold, I don't think the rules really make that much difference. And I think with Kumenkata, actually, it enables, done right, enables more throws to happen. So what is the answer? I think it all comes down to marketing. It all comes down, like, look, in the UK, darts and snooker are super popular. Like, how boring is darts and snooker? But they've created an environment where people can go and have fun. And... I suppose I'll, I'll address this with the, um, I've got a question, how much have I enjoyed watching the Worlds this week? I'm going to bring this in, right? I've, I've watched the Worlds uh, whilst I'm working. So say now I'm recording this podcast, I've got the Worlds on in the background. Um, so I'm in my dojo. I've got it on and silent in the background. Okay. But you know what I enjoy what, watching judo? I love going to the competition venue. I love smelling the mats. I love, uh, you know, I love the Paris tournament. Now you can have a beer whilst watching it. I love that side of it. I love the spectator. When I watch the rugby, when I watch the football, I like the social aspect of it. I like being able to watch it in a pub or go around to a friend's house or, you know, it creates that community, that environment of, yeah, let's all get together. And they do a really good job at selling it okay they do such a good job you, to think like darts you just throw in like some little arrows across a room into a dartboard that nobody can see because they're so far away they've got to watch it on the telly you know the the snooker hall you've got to be quiet like and these are really popular uk sports and for me judo just needs to understand that a competition is a very small amount about the actual event itself and it's the environment it can create around it so you know creating the stalls the extra activities speaking to the clubs communicating to the clubs get them involved don't charge 50 quid to walk in to start off with you know get them involved it's only when the sport is popular do they start putting ticket fees on you know you don't go 
to your local five-a-side team and pay to watch them, do you? But you do go to the Premier League and pay a lot of money to watch those teams play. You know, so you've got to get it up and run it. And if you do charge your money, make it into an event, you know, host it properly. Make sure that everybody in there feels good, the, the, the vibe's going. And the more people that do judo, the more people are going to want to watch it. You know, how much, how much is it publicised leading up to a big event like, say for example, let's take football as an example. You know, if you've got a big game coming up, they're on for three, four hours before the kickoff talking about it. All week there's adverts about it. All week they're talking about it. You know, and obviously we can't do this on a smaller scale. Well, actually, no, I don't actually buy that. We could, within if the areas and stuff done something, you could you could create more of an environment around it and more of a buy-in. I think the rules aren't the problem in judo. I think it's just the awareness and getting people interested. You know, we almost sometimes have, um, because we know how good judo is, we just expect people to enjoy it too. You know, we've got to sell it to them. We've got to tell them why it's so good to watch. You know, there's so many good fights to watch. Um, so, yeah, so I don't think it's the rule set. I, and I honestly don't think it's the rule set. And I don't think the Kumikata will, would add anything to it. But what do you think? How do you think... What happens to you when there's a big competition coming up? Like, say with the Worlds now, I would like to be sat in the stadium watching it, you know, having a good time, being in Hungary, you know, that would be great. The next best thing would be to sat, sit with a load of mates and watch it, have some food, get into it. But a lot of the time now, I'm watching it whilst I'm working. So although I'm watching it, I'm not really paying attention. And if I miss anything, I have to go back and I'll, I'll have to watch it on catch up or, you know, on the IJF portal. But that's not how sport's supposed to be enjoyed. How, you know, so is it the fact that the... Do they need to think about how they put it onto TV? You know, football is always... You don't have a football match on when everybody's working. It's always late in the evening or it's on the weekend. You know, what can they do to make it more viewable? What can they do to make it so people can watch? And you're always going to find that difficult because it's a global sport. But, yeah, there has to be considerations around that, I think. But, yeah, so, Mark, I hope, I hope that that helps i hope that um answers your question and i hope that's not like a, a preaching this is what should be done because i'm not in events i don't know that but that's that's my thoughts comparing it to other sports at least now with the world i'll go back to um the question how much have you enjoyed watching the world this week as i say it's really tricky to watch whilst you know you're working and stuff and so brutal the sport is so brutal how many favorites now how many top players have lost matches like watching Deguchi, you know miss out uh, on the finals and that people moan about the rules and stuff it was i don't know it wasn't and it uh, was already for me under the old rule set but with the new rule set that's what it is and you know everybody knows that and yeah it, it's just so tough isn't it it's tough to watch all the sports people lose but especially when you know if you win that contest you're fighting off the olympic games against your compatriot if you lose you're not going and 
I will say though, like Deguchi for me, at one point, I think it was actually in 2019, I thought she was one of the best female judo players on the planet. I, I, I thought she was really, really good. Um, and she still is, like she is still really, really good. But Canadian, Canada judo, they set out a stipulation out of the girls, they made them fight. And Klim K, I'm hoping that's how you say her name. She deserves to go, she won her matches she become world champion and what a nice position to be in <laughs> for as a country having two fighters fighting off to be to go to the games but they're also fighting off for world medals such a good position to be in but also like how many medals have spain won already it was it three medals just phenomenal 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 i think it's so hard to know what preparation everybody's had for this as well though this world it's really difficult to understand who's been training hard not hard because everybody would be training hard if they could but who's had the ability to train and it will punish countries that rely on traveling for their randori you know for example great britain they always travel always always travel to get their their randori um and I know they've been to Holland a couple of times, but is that enough? You know, are, are you really getting your players there? And I know some athletes were, were struggling to even do that. So, yeah, really interesting in the world. So I, I saw actually Ashley said that he was going to the Olympics for three days. And I don't know whether that's a COVID restriction. I'll ask him, actually. I need to find out whether this game's, the athletes are only going in for a period like for me i was still think i still struggle to think how they're going to get it to go ahead I, I can't get around that in my head but if they are limiting the athletes athletes um involvement in the games that's also tough on them as well i mean especially if you're first like ashley's i think it's his third games you know it's a little bit different experience for for him obviously going to london and rio but there's going to be some people that it's going to be their first experience so yeah, so that's my world's experience. I'm not really, I'm looking forward to, so I like the fact that when we teach judo, we have it on as well. So over the weekend, the kids will get to watch some of it whilst we're, whilst we're practicing, whilst we're training. But yeah, I really like to enjoy my judo and I'd love to be out in the world right now and, and be watching and I can't wait for, you know, events like Paris to come back with crowds and travel to come open because it's just so good. I love being in a stadium. I love it. Absolutely love watching judo. So yeah, so Swansea judo. I'm sorry I couldn't give you a better answer than that. I'm going to do one more question, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what people's tolerance are to listen to me for a whole podcast. So yeah, I'm going to do one more. One more. And this one, I didn't actually take note of the name, to be fair. If you could add, remove or change just one rule for competitions, what would it be? Mine would be to add specific time limit to establish productive newaza. Still short, maybe three or five seconds. Um, I suppose we had this, I think Lowry asked uh, what rule, uh, asked the rules question. Um, you know what? For me, there would be lots I would change, but so I think... The way I, I would like to consider competitions is you have IJF events, all right? You have 
the pathway to IJF events. This is your top level, this is the rule set. But where I think we're really limited is everything below that, especially when it comes to kids. So the rules are what just doesn't necessarily make you better at judo. There's lots of different things. And what I would do is I would have events with different rule sets and change them all the time, you know, work with them. There could be some tournaments where you're only allowed to use specific throws. There could be some tournaments where it's only Nawaza. There could be some tournaments where you can only win in Nawaza. There could be some tournaments where you start holding the belts. There could be, and I just think it's the lack of imagination, I guess. Maybe if we go back to, um, you know, Mark's question about the, the gripping and would that become more interesting for spectators? I think that sort of stuff would make it more interesting for judo players as well. And there could be offsets, you know, even running like a Kosen judo tournament now and again, which is a team tournament where you can only actually win in Nawaza. You know, just doing different things. I think our imagination is really limited. And I think, especially when you come to some competitions that are organised, and you see referees in this like i wouldn't if it was down to me with competitions for kids there's no way referees would be wearing suits they'd wear a polo shirt like tracksuit but just be comfortable make it more accessible make it more interesting um so i think i would ch i couldn't change or add one rule i think i would just i'd completely mix it up when it comes to anything below elite olympic level judo and when i say that is anything on the pathway to olympic level judo so anything under 18s you know you can make it whatever you want it could be golden school tournament you could say right this tournament because like say one of the one of the tactics in judo okay if you're if you're down a score all right, you're down a score with a minute to go. There's a thing that we use called um, quick mates. So the idea is if you're down a score within judo and you've got one minute to go, you want to attack every... Now, this isn't my tactics. This is something that I was taught um, from Marco, actually. You want, to, you want to attack within every six to eight seconds, okay? Or, it, you know... As soon as the referee says for Jimmy, you're attack, you're on the front foot, you're going. And the reason behind that is firstly, if you get caught for rip on, you're losing anyway. Okay, so it makes no difference. But secondly, you need to apply pressure to your partner. You need to put them under pressure. So by attacking every six seconds, you'll get ten attacks in in that minute, which increases your chances of throwing. Okay, so one tournament could be a golden score tournament. The first score wins. You go for it. Okay, but if you don't attack within a certain time frame, you get a penalty straight away. Okay, and it would be a lot stricter. And you literally, you, you can change the rules. And I think we are in this country, we could now come in from this pandemic, we could change lots of things. We could implement so many new rules if there were people motivated to do so, if there were people inclined, I think the worst thing we could do is just go back to doing what we've always done because I, it's not gonna produce the next Olympic champion. It's not, it really isn't. We've got to be more, um, we've got to be more creative, more thoughtful, go into it, just have some fun. Don't get bogged down with the conventions of this is how it was always done. And for me, I, I would just be, trying to rip it up um 
the rule book. As I said, I, I'm sure I said maybe on the first podcast with Darren, when we run competitions, we change the rules. And you know what? Sometimes I would change the rules on the day. I'd really up, you know, mix it up and make sure that people were always on the toes. Um, actually, Darren, it was, sent me a really good paper called The Rocky Road. And it's about... Um, it's about creating opportunities for athletes to learn how to adapt and overcome and you know those sorts of things are really really interesting and would help out their development there are obviously complications with that you know with organizing and communication and parents and other things but yeah i i think for me looking at the competitions I think they should be more varied. I think not just the Nawaza stuff, the Tatuaza stuff, you could have time frames, you could have different, yeah, it just could be so much more. And it might not be the fact that you could operate this on a, a national scale, okay? So it might be that it could be regional, it could be club, it could be four clubs going together and say, well, guys, we're going to do this for this time round and we're going to change it up, you know, get that support in there. But I think you are only limited by your by your imagination with it. And as long as there's a clear outcome, so I'm not saying just randomly do some stuff, I think there needs to be a considered outcome. What are you hoping from your players to be able to develop, okay? So it could be, for example, that you want uh, your players to be able to deal with drop techniques, okay? So the competition could be, right, uh, player, what you draw, you've got two players, one's a number one, one's a number two, number two can only do drop techniques, number one can only do anything they want, whatever. But you're just creating those stimuluses, and it could be in your round dory, but it could also be in that competition aspect. And I think recreating that competition aspect um, will help with their ability to cope at competitions and deal with things. So yeah, so I think as long as it's purposeful, I think mix it up, go for it, do what, do whatever you like. I think, yeah, I think you should be encouraged to do that. And I, I would love to see more competitions like that, where people are just, just going for it. Yeah. So yeah, so I hope I, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't actually uh, take the name down with that, but I hope that answers that question. Now, I am going to wrap it up now because I think 40 odd minutes of listening to me is is more than long enough. Um, but I would like your feedback on this one. Uh, did you did you enjoy it for a change? I don't think it's something that w would be good all the time. And as I said, I have got interviews lined up for the upcoming weeks. Um, but yeah, I think to give the, the podcast legs, mixing it up with stuff like this might be quite good. And send me questions in. I, I put them on a little um, note and I will get around to answering it. I think it's a really good thing because sometimes I can't, obviously I've got stuff that I think in my head, but I don't know what you guys want to know about, what you want to talk about. And I'm more than happy to address those on these podcasts as well. I think that's just part of the evolution. Um evolution of the podcast um so yeah so the next one actually i've got a meeting in a second to discuss the next one which as judo clubs could you cope with having an extra 100 members could you cope with having an extra 200 members 300 are you ready to be bigger if you want to be and that's the question have you got a website that facilitates it have you got um, the communication process is set up. How do you operate? Would you like 
to know a bit more around that. So next week, uh, I'm hoping to get this one organised for next week. Uh, if not, it'll be the week after. I'm going to be talking to somebody about those processes and how we can help you, the judo clubs, the judo coaches, um, to just give you the idea, whether it's around marketing, uh, your website, uh, setting up, allowing your club to grow, some of the practices that can come in, and also create connections for you. So that's going to be coming up. Um, I'm hoping next week, uh, but I've not got, got it um, finalised yet. If not, it will be the week after. So yeah, so that's coming up. But let me know, did you enjoy this podcast? What would you like added? What would you like... Was it beneficial still? I think talking about judo is always, always good. And don't forget, please, 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 if you've not done it already, just log on, click that link to that UK Coaching Hero. Give me a couple of votes. That would be great, okay? And as always, if you've got any questions, you can send them over to vince at vinceskillcon.co.uk. Um, you can send them via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, anything like that. Uh, that would be good. And don't forget to share the podcast, to like it, to rate it. That would be really, really good. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy watching the rest of the worlds. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I know it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I speak to you guys soon. Judo talk, talk, judo talk.